I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Take one. Do you want anything from the shop? Welcome to the Spool Podcast with me, Nigel Wheatley, and my fellow Spooler, Pork McGill. How are Hello. you, Pork? Good, yeah. So this month, we're going to be talking Pedro Almodovar's Pain and Glory. We're going to discuss the horror film Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, and whatever bits and bobs that have caught our eye over the last couple of weeks. Um, we're also going to be looking ahead to James Gray's Ad Astra and the upcoming Downton Abbey film. But first, we're going to party like it's 1999. Um there's been a couple of sort of think pieces and re you know revisiting this year in cinema it is for whatever reason pro or con whether you believe it or not it is considered to be the best year in modern contemporary cinema um a lot of big hitters come out in 1999 and it's weird like it's starting to make you feel old where you're like jesus that's 20 years ago yeah and you can properly remember seeing some of these films for the first time yeah. And it's quite like, what, we were 19? No, sorry, we were... Uh, 15. 15. Um, so it's like, you're. it's quite an impressionable, formative years, you know? Yeah, depending probably on if you've got, you know, older siblings or, you know, cool parents who brought you to see some of these films. Like, you probably didn't see many of these. If this is me, sorry, I'm just speaking on behalf of people who are mid-30s, like our generation. Um, But you may not have seen any of these in the cinema, but... Um, some of the if you kind of think about some of the definitive films from that year I'm just going to shout names at you and we're going to try to kind of uh, weigh them up I have a pick for one that I want to talk about and then I think you have one yep. as well but before that we're going to set the scene um, with what came out so um, Eyes Wide Shut Stanley Kubrick <laughs> to definitely not see that in 1999 no have you seen it since? Uh, no actually I've only seen bits and pieces of it yeah I've seen I've seen like 15 minute YouTube breakdowns of Eyes Wide Shut and how it's a masterpiece or how it's a disaster and blah 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 yeah um, which is most <laughs> most interesting and stuff. so we've got Toy Story 2 interesting yeah I would have seen that in the cinema yeah but like 20 years later now we're revisiting with Toy Story 4 it's kind of um, seen though as one of the best ever sequels it's like yeah. up there with Godfather 2 yeah absolutely um, you've got Pedro Almodovar's uh all About My Mother, which won an Oscar, which was very, very well received at the time. Then uh, Stuart Little, South Park, Bigger, Longer and Uncut. May have seen that when it came out on video. The fact that that came after, that got me thinking about South Park in a lot of ways. And whereby I remember when a film came out and it was really controversial and all that. But obviously we'd been through a couple of years at cinema. So I don't know. We're old. Yeah. I just feel really, really old. <laughs> um, And then we also have... What did we say? Tarzan? Never saw Tarzan. Anyway, and then there's this kind of little handful of films that everyone says, oh yeah, that's modern uh, That's modern American cinema in a nutshell here. So you've got Being John Malkovich. You mentioned it earlier, probably by accident, because we were talking about yeah. going up and down a lift in, in workplaces. Um, this, how, how do you rank that, by the way? Have you revisited that? I haven't seen it in a good few years. Really liked it at the time um, and was kind of down with the whole absurdity of it. I think it was maybe the first time I saw John Cusack do kind of a... I'd kind of maybe all have seen him as a pretty boy. He's a great actor and we'll just kind of talk about him later on, but yeah. Yeah. Um. So then you've got The Sixth Sense. Oh, yeah. Very that good. was like pre-internet era where yeah. no one got to talk about what was going on. And don't ruin it, don't ruin Didn't it. Didn't see that in the cinema. I saw that on no. video when it came out. No, I'm not sure I saw it. I'm not sure what I went in. Yeah. I had the joy, as you mentioned, of having kind of older brothers and sisters yeah. who showed but me the, stuff that I probably shouldn't have seen. Yeah, we talked a little bit before about how DVDs were very formative and definitive in terms of, oh, I've got it on DVD and I'm going to watch that. 
and it's really these films that bled into that and the whole like empire magazine was important for me at that yeah. stage i was buying it from around the year i think these would have still been a time where in extravision you they were on both vhs and dvd yeah. yeah no dvd explosion was kind of around 2002 2003 yeah really yeah. before it really replaced yeah um so then we've got fight club yeah perfect yeah obviously gonna... didn't see it in the cinema because it was like 18 but yeah. saw it on vhs and magnolia oh yeah I haven't seen that in years again. Yeah. yeah, again, I just don't know. Again, these are things that lend themselves so well to looking at like YouTube um, breakdowns of them and just essays and their broader place in cinema. But imagine seeing these, um, one of these a month apart. The start of Magnolia possibly. really sticks out. It's something about like an old-timey video thing and somebody falling to their death, I want to say. And then the Amy Mann song, One is the Loneliest Number. It's kind of what sticks out from that film, yeah. not too much of the actual film. Yeah, and then, and what's probably of note there, Tom Cruise has been in two of these films. Um, Fight Club is obviously Brad Pitt and Ed Norton. Like, a lot of the same people are knocking around. We talked about John Cusack a mm. little bit. We've got um, Bruce Willis there in Sixth Sense. Yeah, and then two then that I want to mention. So, the other film that has kind of formed so much of what modern blockbuster cinema is about, digital filmmaking cgi overload franchises flogging things to death <laughs> star wars episode one the phantom menace oh um, wow yeah 1999 wow so probably one of the most innovative films one of the most important films from modern cinema history but um a bag of shite in a lot of ways yeah had a great race that was just a rip off of ben Hur, but probably one of the first times where it was it was almost the start maybe could you pinpoint that as the start of this superhero franchise let's, rebirth yeah. of the nerd kind of yeah. geeky culture where it's just like well, s- what, what's, so pumped for it like. what's most challenging about this and as we face into we're going to do a more Star Wars kind of chat later in the year for Rise of Skywalker which comes in December still um, haven't seen the new trailer but, I'm terrible yeah but the gap between uh, um, Return of the Jedi and Phantom Menace is 15 years and the gap between Phantom Menace and this would be 20 years so if you think oh, yeah. about that as a scale of how long people had to wait, like I felt when Phantom Menace arrived, because I obviously wasn't around when when uh, the other Star Wars films were, were coming out. It was yeah. just born in 84 or whatever. Yeah. But like for them, they're like, we've waited a lifetime for this extra trilogy, and now it's going to come in all yeah. the clothes. Anyway, we're going to revisit that. But the film I kind of want to mention that, I, that when I was going through this list and reading some stuff around 1999 um, was American Beauty um, and Kevin Spacey and how... Oh, careful now. Right? But, like, it's a fantastic... Went back and looked at loads of scenes, got thinking about it, and what the an impact it had on me. I think it's the first time I saw someone masturbating on on screen, him in, the, him in the shower, if you remember. And just, it really expanded what I thought was sort of possible from, from cinema. I'm thinking I watched it on DVD yeah, probably in transition had... years, so around, to, like, a year later. Yeah, I think I saw it a couple of years later with... My sister, we were watching it and it was the end I kind of sticks with me or it's that the start is also the end. I haven't seen American Beauty in years yeah. and it's and that he's being shot. No one, would, no one would promote it now. Netflix yeah. is never going to tell you about this. DVDs are probably produced like, oh, by Miramax, was it? Heaven's baby. Um, not sure who the <laughs> yeah. producer was. But yeah. And Annette Benning is his wife. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and not Christina Ricci. Yeah. Mia. Yeah. I always remember this good Family Guy joke where they're talking about American Nina Beauty. Suvari. I'm sorry. Because there's the 
famous scene with the plastic bag and it's his art video and it's kind of like and then it cuts to God in the clouds and he's looking down at the plastic bag and the whole American Beauty thing and he's like do you know how complicated your circulatory system is I was just like oh yeah that's pretty funny yeah. um, so that's it so yeah. you wanted to pick one one out yeah you were kind of it was interesting it clicked in me when you were talking about the Phantom Menace and how long people had to wait so I want to talk about the first Matrix film. It came out in 1999. It was released in June 1999. And the sequel came out, Matrix Reloaded, in 2003. And then Matrix Revolutions came out Which the I same think we saw year. Together. Yeah, in 2003. It did we that probably thing. saw Revolutions together. Yeah. yeah. It was, um, I was like, oh, yeah, that's kind of mad because they did shoot them together, but they were like, we broke them up by about six months. And um, so, yeah, the Matrix came out. Uh, I remember visibly coming out of the cinema being like mind blown mouth open don't know what i've just seen who did you see it with jane sister yeah sister. and i was just like absolutely blown away and then i remember when it came out in vhs dad watched it by himself i was like oh you have to watch this it's the best thing ever because dad's really in films and he was like yeah it's basically just cowboys and indians with some psycho babble thrown in to confuse the audience and i was like shut up dad you don't know anything about films <laughs> Um, but I went to see and, it recently and, and is it? how does it hold up it still holds up really well like there is an element of truth in what dad said but like you can tell that kind of about so many films but it still does really hold up and I was kind of getting giddy watching it where I was like oh yeah this bit's coming up now uh, the bit where he clicks the phone out and you at the time watching it you were like this is cool as hell now there's some piece of shit Motorola Nokia uh, uh, and it just like slids down and you're like was it a Motorola oh, I think it was a Motorola I thought it was a Nokia right yeah okay. and uh Loads of other stuff. And it moves really quickly because I checked the runtime there when I was looking up and it's two and a half hours. But it really kind of belts along. Hasn't dated too much, you know. Um, But yeah, it really holds up. I kind of am going to go back and watch the other two. And now we have talk. Well, As confirmation. Anything, yeah, Matrix no, 4. It's definitely happening according to anyone and everyone that they want to bring this back. The franchise that we didn't know we needed brought back. And mm. um, with one of the... um co-directors um lana wachowski will be directing um and so, they've got and keanu, keanu back and Carrie moss but she died so in the third for, one but also he's more or less dead as well like he went away as jesus no yeah but uh, or was to me de- she like, was very definitely very dead she had a big spike through or yeah. something but whether then is it some sort of a prequel alternate reality do they revisit do they just is it mm. a sequel to the first film that would be brilliant yeah if they just go and are like that's it so they're going to start making it next year um, and, you know, there's other people probably starring in it, possibly Michael B. But Jordan it kind of won't, it'll never have the same effect as the first one because it can the thing... Never. Nothing can yeah. ever have the same impact, yeah. Because they created that whole bullet time thing where, yeah. and when you just saw that, you were just like, what is as this? As parodied then in Charlie's Angels and Shrek yeah. and everything. But everything, like... Probably feels kind of dated now, does it? Yeah, no, it still kind of holds up, but like it's, you're still kind of waiting for something when you're in the cinema to be like, oh, wow, where's my, where's the new version of that? You know, maybe James Cameron will do it with the new avatars. Yeah, but if like, they well, ever actually, get released. Avatar probably felt like I'm seeing something essential and new and fresh and everything. I'm not sure if there's anything I've seen in cinema since that then felt genuinely like, oh, wow. This is kind of brand new. Anyway, we'll go down that other road of complaining about blockbusters and sequels yeah. and everything when we get to the bit where you get to talk about Hobbs and Shaw. <laughs> so a film that we both, I had seen when we did our podcast last time, a couple of weeks ago, 
Um, and you have now seen Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And you've got a few thoughts. Yeah, I've seen us... it twice, actually. Okay, so, so kick us off for what you liked most about the film. I think the look of it. It looked amazing. Kind of after coming out of it, I was just like, oh, I wish I had an old-timey car and could just go driving around Did you at see speed. it in a good cinema digital? First time I saw it, saw it in IMAX. Okay. And I was just like, oh, cool. Um, why did it, why, bad yeah. crowd... Well, not a, an okay crowd. There was somebody at the end of the row who was on their phone a lot. And there was oh. a guy beside me. Like, it wasn't that packed, but it was... There was a guy sitting right beside me and he was laughing at bits where I was like, that's not that funny. You're laughing too much and stuff like this. Uh, second time, saw it in the lighthouse, 35 mil. Did... Uh, sounded great as well. Looked a sounded bit better. phenomenal. Soundtrack yeah. is... Yeah. yeah. Uh, so loved all the look could of it. You, could you hear the projector? <laughs> <laughs> Liked the no, serious question. No, no, it's right up the front. People talk about this kind of thing that if you like, oh, you seventy mil, yeah, you can really hear the film like when it's on. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, the parts of it I really liked, like Leonardo DiCaprio in it is really good. Brad Pitt is great. Yeah. Certain scenes, like all the westerny stuff with Leonardo, really liked. Well, also they're just let run, like the TV. Yeah. Some of the TV episodes, some of the western, the whatever homage pastiche, whatever it is that they are. Yeah. You just spend a minute or two watching these scenes and like, oh, I'm into it. Yeah. It's now tense. And watching them watch the TV yeah. and stuff. The whole Brad Pitt stuff on the Manson Ranch is great. And there's lots of like, to me, that's, there's loads of parts of it that are just a Western in its entirety where Brad Pitt is walking onto the Manson Ranch and then all the women are coming out of the houses. It's just like, that's a real kind of like blow in coming into the town and everything. There's certain stuff I was kind of sent to column where I was like, I don't know how much I would I wouldn't know what his intentions are with certain scenes like say with the young girl scene I'm like is he kind of is this what he thinks of feminism and the Me Too movement and is it a bit like oh these are all just kind of young girls but then there's other elements with like that Brad Pitt it is very much the end of that like oh macho I'm a man gonna come in here and save everything well, it's, it's when he's getting shunned out it's a kind of it's a weird there's parts of it where I'm like Mm. Yeah, and I mean everyone has seen it at this point. So if for some reason you haven't, just fast forward about one minute. Yeah. But the fact that Brad Pitt changes history and is a hero, blah blah blah, is kind of weird. So what's Tarantino even trying to say there? Is he saying like because the more I think about that, the more I'm like, oh, I wonder do I have a bit of a problem there that actually if men had just been left to sort things out, you know, Hollywood would have been fine and kids to me it's a weird one like i think what he does quite well is like the saddest part of the film is when sharon tate's voice comes over the tannoy at the end because it really hits home that you're like oh she's dead that's really sad and the whole way through the film he's portrayed her as almost this purely innocent being which she's really happy her portrayal is interesting yeah she's really fun and like sweet and nice and happy floats around giggly like it's very light kind of cloudy airy fairy almost kind of sweet yeah but i think that adds to the the horror of the fact that she's killed because you kind of know that in the back of your head and while the film is called Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which is a reference to like the spaghetti westerns, like Once Upon a Time in America, it also is a fairy tale. So like you can't be too surprised it's been done. He did it with Inglorious Bastards. And like you're kind of saying like, well, yeah, you kind of can rewrite history. The stuff that kind of was I was a bit like, oh, was the violence at the end because there's so little violence in the rest of the film. And sure, it is Tarantino-esque. 
uh, but it's so intense at times. And like people were laughing at it, and I get that, but I was like, I can't laugh it's at, at this. It's too grim. Yeah, it feels at odds with the rest of the film. For yeah, sure. um, very good. But what did you? So you were in the three and a half sort of. I'd four. still beat that three, three and a half. Yeah. But you'd happily watch it again. Like it's funny. Yeah. And like yeah. parts of it are very meandry though, where you're like, it could, ah, yeah. what people always give out about Tarantino and I wouldn't have said before, I can start to see now where I'm like, oh yeah, you could probably get rid of this. Yeah. Well, and I was saying. He doesn't have editors, doesn't have script editors or people who step in and say, do we need this bit? Um, do we want to get rid of mm. this flashback? Do we want to jump forward six months? Like how it's all structured is a bit mad as well. And do we need Bruce There's Lee in there? a bit where I didn't, or I was just like, I don't see him in it at all. But I was watching the credits then because we were a bit slow to leave the second time I saw it. And there's a bit during the end credits where Leonardo DiCaprio is doing an ad for his cigarettes. It's like in character, like mm-hmm. selling the cigarettes. And it's obviously a sh- like it's being shot. So a director says cut. And I was like, oh, I'm pretty sure that's Tarantino. So I need to go and look that up because he's usually in most of his films. So, um, yeah. Well, cool. we're seeing on the big screen, and it's kind of interesting. I was saying it's also to like talkable. Everyone has an opinion. Yeah, on it. there's not many films that people have been so yeah. strongly either for or against. Yeah, like, and like ninety percent of my family have seen it, including my parents, and like there's no other film or director that would do that. I think a good Scorsese kind of like Inception. Um, I don't know Shutter Island kind of thing maybe drags people into yeah. that. Anyway. Like my brother Andrew went to see it in the cinema. Hasn't been to cinema, I can't remember when. There you go, that's the Tarantino effect. So, yeah. from one auteur to another, Pedro Almodovar's Pain and Glory hit cinemas last week and has been getting fairly unanimously positive reviews. Um, the film tells the story of a series of, I guess, re-encounters, as experienced by uh, Spanish director Salvador Malo, um, a guy who is sort of in early retirement from his profession of directing, but which has been kind of forced by illness physical de- de- decline kind of lack of lack of energy and enthusiasm for life and and physical actual pain and cancer right does he have cancer i think we kind of he, he kind of has had lots of different ailments yeah yeah so some of these re-encounters that he has and the experiences are actual physical people who he re-meets and then others are kind of remembered and imagined and revisited more in his mind and and on and on like and then we get to see them on screen so the film director as everyone knows at this stage probably played by antonio banderas who has worked uh on two other films with pedro almodovar uh and other kind of almodovar favorites are in there penelope cruz as his mother and then cecilia roth plays his sort of friend slash agent yeah kind of agent yeah but i was thinking back and at the beginning of the film she just kind of bumps into him doesn't she doesn't he like in the in an airport, so she just kind of take it on to kind of mine him, or have, oh, I, yeah, have I misremembered that? I love the inside of his apartment. I was like, I'd happily live there. He's yeah. an amazing lamp in the corner of one shot, and I was like, Yeah, wonder if I can so get that lamp. Big thumbs up. So you can email uh, Anton Gomez, who was the uh, production designer. So brilliant. He has done a phenomenal job, and cinematographer Jose Luis Alcane is good um, as well. So. Yeah, I had very, I got to see this by myself at a kind of one of these early, now it was a Cineworld Unlimited screening, so oh, open yeah. to anyone with the card, but mm. it was almost exclusively Spanish people of all age demographics, oh, and wow. it was absolutely fantastic. Yeah. I saw Roma with like a Mexican crowd in Dublin as well, oh, so yeah, it's like it's embassy people thing, just yeah. go in with such enthusiasm and, and yeah. energy to this, but this was actual normal Did um, you know much Spaniards, about it going in? Very little, only that 
Banderas Sorry. was kind of playing a character loosely based around Pedro mm. Almodovar. And I actually don't know. I haven't even done dug in yeah, as to, much more of to true, see how like... much of it is based around So I was like, did Almodovar do heroin? I was like, wow. Yeah. So as I mentioned... Because there's a lot of stuff with the mother. Yeah. And along the way, so we see um, Mallow is using drugs as a way of kind of... Like he go, he visits his sort of... I kind of thought a bit about Werner Herzog and what's his face. Uh, his yeah. kind of... Or like the Scorsese... It's like Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell. Yeah, De Niro. These kind of duos of people who sort of found fame together. But anyway, he reconnects with him, but only by going and smoking heroin. Score heroin often, yeah. Yeah, and then, but then kind of screws him over and everything. But... Um, he the scenes that are probably most powerful to me were where he kind of took drugs for the first time and then that allowed him to kind of nod off and revisit his childhood and his earliest sort of sexual encounters of possibly discovering that actually he was mostly attracted to the male form um as evidenced by a guy who was kind of here painting his yeah and he was kind of teaching him and stuff like that yeah yeah and a very special like there's a such an intense sexual energy there which um We've seen before with Spanish school kids in a film that the name has um, out into the... Oh, can't remember. Anyway, it's a film that he had about 15 years ago, which um, looks at that kind of relationship of gay schoolboys and stuff. Yeah. And again, uh, powerful. The film kind of reminded me a lot of... Like, people talk about... They seem to be referencing it in a half. Yeah. You know, when directors are kind of, you know, coming up against blocks and stuff like this. But to me, it kind of... I, I thought a lot about Cinema Paradiso because mm-hmm. he talks a lot about the effect of cinema as he was younger and then he's flashing back to it and he and is my a, childhood smelled yeah, of piss and and that kind of you know innocent kid and a great child actor as well so it kind of reminded me a lot of that yeah and the scenes then so just to finish up on it probably some of the best bits of it are probably Penelope Cruz as a mother and just seeing her with the other kind of mothers there and the scene where they're down by a river singing and it's just kind of really idyllic and we saw a bit of that kind of stuff in Volver that she was in um, yeah in yeah I so. suppose it kind of has that early romanticized version of youth and then it goes back to him slightly older when he's kind of taking much, care of his mother yeah and much grittier and realer set in contemporary yeah. Spain where things didn't just work out um, and then all that early stuff is set in fascist kind of Franco era Spain and that was the case until kind of the mid 70s yeah I kind of liked that it jumped from sort of childhood it didn't I was kind of wondering were we going to kind of go over these kind of 40 years or whatever yeah yeah and then it's very much we pocketed and then loved 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 the ending and yeah I didn't see that coming at all and I was just like perfect because in my head it was like you're absolutely right perfect a high four and a half or something but when I saw the last scene it was like five stars yeah perfect so yeah yeah I was in the kind of I don't know. I think I gave it four and a half simply. I don't know what I had fault with, but I really want to watch it again. I've enjoyed reading about it, talking about it. Mm. Everything. So it could be, it could be a fiver. Is yep. it five from you? Yeah, five. Yeah. Top marks. Good man. Yep. Um, so another one that's kind of, in the, so that's, I think we're probably united in saying if you're getting to one film and you're wondering what it is, yeah. then Pain and Glory is it. It's still playing. It's only out a week. It's in Cineworld. It's in another kind of nationwide, lighthouse, like yeah. bigger multiplexes around the country. And then also the Lighthouse and the Irish Film Institute in Dublin. So another one that is in just the multiplexes. Uh, actually, no, we're talking about Never Grow Old because this is a really hard film to find. This is an Irish film. Yeah. Saw it last week. And it's only kind of playing, is it only in the IMCs? We went to see it in the Savoy 
and I think it's maybe playing in Dunleary and other places like that. It came out in America seemingly in March, but it's only come out now in Ireland. It's directed by Ivan Kavanagh, who directed The Canal from 2014, which uh, was a really good film. It's kind of a horror. Uh, I think I saw it at the film festival, or I was definitely at a premiere of it, and really enjoyed it. Uh, really kind of scary, dark elements of it. So uh, Never Grow Old is a very kind of classic Western. It stars Emile Hirsch, who is Patrick Tate. Filmed in Ireland. Yeah. We think all of it. Oh, I'm pretty sure all of it, yeah. It's probably the same set as on Klondike, the film for T.G. Carr. Could be totally wrong. Apologies if I am, but it looks amazing. Uh, So Emile Hirsch plays Patrick Tate, who has come over from Ireland and is kind of just living out the frontier life why not just let Killian Murphy do that part like why get, his accent is he's too busy in Birmingham doing Peaky Blinders and uh, yeah so it's kind of the town has become a bit puritanical uh, Danny Webb plays uh, Preacher Pike and they've got rid of any women uh, gambling and booze and all that kind of thing so trade has kind of died down nobody's stopping in the town everybody's going to California so they're like will we go so it's kind of something they're considering and then uh, Emile Hirsch works as the kind of carpenter. He's the undertaker. He does lots of different stuff. And he has a son and a wife. Then, yeah. yeah, a couple of kids. So then one night, John Cusack knocks at his door and he plays uh, Dutch Albert. And he's kind of weird. Like, for a large part of the film, all you really see is John Cusack's face. He's kind of got almost like he's wearing mascara. Kind of looks like, is it Anthony Bird from Anthony and the Johnsons? He looks like a chubby Daniel Day-Lewis who has had a stroke. Yeah, but playing it brilliantly. Yeah. Kind of really menacing, really quiet, uh, nefarious kind of guy. And he wants uh, Patrick Tate to be like, you need to give me, bring me to this guy's house. And he's like, okay. So he does. And then uh, John Cuse, like his Dutch Albert, is like, I'm going to just kind of take over this town. So he buys the bar off the guy and turns it back into gambling, you know, drinking, prostitution, everything. And then it's this whole disintegration of the town where he's taking it over. He's killing people at random. Emile Hirsch then is burying them. He's getting the money for doing all the burials, but it's kind of against his conscience. So it's that kind of classic Western, you know, good versus evil. The sheriff can't even do anything. The sheriff can't do anything. The sheriff can't... uh, has nobody to help him. He's very much the sheriff is man sort of on his not own. really that bothered me. Like he's a bit frustrated, but like, is there not a larger an, an FBI or something? Like I don't know. Or some kind I think of, well, there such, was an FBI. Yeah, sorry, I know that. Like but a ranger a or another yeah, county yeah. level. Um. So I think it's it's fantastic. It really works well. It looks brilliant. Towards the end, it gets a bit too um speechy towards the very end and i would have liked it if it had ended a bit more happily ever after but i get why certain people had to die because of the work that carried out but um really 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 liked it um and worth checking out i think yeah if you can find it um yeah. it does feel like it's something that'll show up on a netflix or an amazon Volter, yeah yeah no more so a netflix or an amazon somewhere i think it'll be an american kind of thing okay like it's yeah. a weird like anti-Irish film almost in that like you're like oh that was filmed in Ireland it's weird that yeah. that's how it works um, and I didn't like Emile Hirsch's it wasn't terrible he didn't talk too much like it's not the worst Irish accent ever it's no, no uh, Tom Cruise you know in far and far away, and away. Yeah. yeah so for me it was I am um, I gave it a definite three stars maybe yeah a, a, a soft three if not maybe higher I'd give it like five? solid three and a half I think 
Yeah, very good. So in cinemas at the moment as well is Scary Stories We Tell in the Dark. Came out last uh, last week. It's directed by Andre Overedal. Um, so it's set in 1968 in a small American town. It's Halloween, and we see uh, what the could be described kind of as a couple of a group, four or five kids. Um, it is kind of cashing into that it's Stranger Things. It's exactly vibe. it. So yeah, so there, and so they break into a haunted house. A group of kids they discover an ancient book of creepy stories, which was apparently written by local legend sarah bellows and then the book kind of comes to life so it's a bit of a bit of a nod to the evil dead with the book but um based on a set of books from the 80s which was meant to be a little bit like goosebumps but a bit older so maybe you would kind of transition into them i used to read a few of the goosebumps books but not never heard of these no yeah um but anyway so alvin schwartz is the guy who wrote the books which apparently have a bit of a cult following but never heard of it so to me it has some really, really good bits, um, but it kind of just does, it's like a bit of a vignette, then another bit of a vignette, then another, like didn't feel very joined together. Parts of it work well, like I thought. Like the scene, the scarecrow, the hospital, these bits work. They were me. great, yeah. yeah. And um, that weird kind of almost nod to, I felt like Asian horror films in the hospital. Yeah, exactly. Incredible with the red lighting. That was yeah. out of this world. So that was so. I, there's images from it that are going to be like, oh yeah, that. Heck, that was terrifying. So, but I do think it's it's very much. I wrote down here before Pork ruined my thing. Like it, the remake from from two years ago, and Stranger Things kind of put into a sieve, mushed mushed together, and the stuff that comes out without much kind of substance that's kind of what this film is yeah. and forgettable but enjoyable to have, have seen. yeah and like it, i'm not gonna the kind of thing where like if you think too much about it there's lots of holes in it and yeah. you know they just tack on a sequel yeah you know but the kids because... are good it's always good watching kind of teenagers being scared and being knocked around it's just yeah. there's not that much new like quite cliched pretty exactly. much all elements yeah. of it yeah um so that's out now scary stories we tell in the dark and it's one of these that's like guillermo del toro presents yeah you're like oh directed it it? no 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 yeah yeah i think he produced it maybe um but anyway that's there um of similar big money then there's two two big action things you want to talk about yeah so the first one is angel has fallen which is the i wouldn't say last but maybe the third a trilogy in the has fallen so first we had olympus which is the most convoluted sentence i've heard a few people say that this is in the has fallen trilogy it's like <laughs> what so we had olympus has fallen uh, then we had london has fallen which i still haven't seen and now we have angel has fallen so it's jared butler who you're plays. not missing much with the london one anyway but okay. olympus has fallen was kind of good from yeah. that time when it and white house down both came out yeah following that track of two very similar films coming out at the same time so Jared Butler plays Mike Banning. He's like the Secret Service detail for the president, played by Morgan Freeman, and his boss Lance Riddick uh, is retiring. So it looks like he's going to be picked as the the new head of the Secret Service uh, for the president. But he kind of is like, oh, I don't know, that's kind of like a desk job. I still want to be out in the field, but he's in tatters, like his back's fucked. He's meeting all these doctors on the sly, getting loads of pain pills because he can barely move. So. He's kind of considering if he wants to do it or not. And while he's considering all this, um, his somebody makes an attempt on the president. Kills, oh my God, Jared Butler is not yeah. going to be happy. 
kills everybody except the president and Jared Butler. So it makes it look like Jared Butler did it. Now, in the start of the film, he has this is going to be uh, spoiler spoiler heavy to to a degree. Keep it safe. I haven't seen this yet. So he's got a friend played by uh, Danny Houston. He's Wade Jennings. You might know him to see, but when you see him, you're like, oh, you're going to be a bad guy because you're in everything and you always play the same character in every single film. Danny Houston is always a mischievous kind of... Mm. Yeah. So once you see him, you're like, there's going to be more to him. He's yeah. a schemer. So um, Jared Butler then ha- kind of has to go on the run to clear his name because he's like, I obviously didn't kill the president. Nobody believes him. Everything's been rigged kind of against him. So he has to go, do you know this? Uh, and find his dad. His dad is Nick Nolte. Oh, I've heard this. Yeah, yeah. apparently that's good. So it's very good. The film really kind of trundles along. It is about the two hour mark, but did a bit of a double header where I saw this and uh, Fast and the Furious presents Hobbs and Shaw. I'm glad you gave it the full title. Give you watched back to back. I think we did, yeah. And this goes much quicker. It kind of plows along. It feels more like a, you know, like a, a novel, yeah. pulpy, kind of diehardy. That has been turned it's into what it's like, trying to yeah, do. Yeah, exactly. Like a born thing that's kind of better. Yeah. It has really good, like predictable plot, but like solid, you know, where stuff is going, bits of surprises and everything. So yeah, I'd kind of say it's better than the film I'm going to talk about next. But yeah. Very good. Yeah. So it took you a couple of weeks to get to Hobbs and Shaw. Yeah. Um, and I think it might still be in the cinema for those kind of complete. Probably, yeah. It'll still be another few who, weeks. Who haven't seen it much. But um, yeah, like there's not much point going into too much depth on it. No, but there's, what was the most ridiculous part of it, do you think? And were you happy or disappointed in it? Uh, I was happy by it. I th- possibly left it too long, so didn't care. Did this weird thing where it was just like there was a couple options in the cinema. It was like, go see Blinded by the Light or Hobbs and Shaw. It was like, uh, Hobbs and Shaw will be there for ages. Let's go see Blinded by the Light. It's terrible. I don't know why it's getting such good press, but I think it's all coming from England and it's just, they don't want to shit all over it. It's really bad. Then it was a case of going to see something else and Hobbs and Shaw. It was terrible as well. And I'm trying to think about what that film was. So finally seeing it, I was a bit like, oh, don't know how into it I was. Uh, the most ridiculous scene is the car to car to car to car. The so daisy chain being The helicopter can't there. take. Yeah. That was ridiculous. It's far too long. There's bits where you're like... I thought the film was, the film was ending and then all of a sudden it moved to Samoa. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, all right, is there some grant from the Samoan tourist board that has... And here's another 40 minutes there. of film. And then The Rock... And the wrestler Roman Reigns, his actual cousin in real life, if you if oh, didn't know okay. that, right. who actually beat leukemia in real life again oh, last year, stopped being a wrestler. He's Roman. He was the brother who has like long hair. Who That's has his no real lines. brother. Uh, oh no, he's his cousin. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, the cool. long-haired kind of cousin who has no lines. Oh, that's kind of cool. Uh, yeah, no, it's great. That's what I mean, though. It was like he just felt. He had to go back and do this for yeah. Samoa rather than actually There's, make the best yeah. film possible. So it felt, it didn't feel nearly as tight as the Fast There's far too many ones. speeches about family, which is what that whole franchise is about. But you're like, oh, shut but up. But actually, like, in reality, this. I only like those speeches when Vin it, Diesel does them. Anyway, so yeah. look, if you haven't seen it, it's you still would want to see this in cinema. And the way you did it, using your kind of yeah. unlimited card to kind of get I to I also see think Ryan Reynolds is a bad guy. 
Yeah, I thought he was the voice. Yeah, so did to I. To the whole thing, but I've Googled it and no one else seems to have that theory. But he definitely was the voice. So that's obviously... And what is next? Is there another Fast and Furious and then another Hobbs and Shaw or uh, any ideas? Or will there is a, there's a Fast and Furious next year, but I'm, I, Are the I lads think like gonna be The in Rock it? and Jason Statham aren't in the next Fast and Furious. Yeah, nice um, cameo from uh, Hart. What's his first name? I can't remember. The Black Air Marshal. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Kevin. Kevin Hart. Yeah, yeah. that was yeah. kind of funny. Yeah. Yeah, I had forgotten that. Yeah, uh, that jo- was kind the, of funny. The Joe Pesci and... of yeah. uh, The Fast and the Furious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And him Le- and The Rock. Lethal have... Weapon in joke there. Okay. Um. So looking ahead, we have... I haven't seen Lethal Weapon, would you believe? Any of them? Uh, like, I don't know. I have no memory oh, of it. Oh, the I first one is see. really good. And mm. it's the kind of thing where... Our, it's always on TV, but only a couple of years ago I saw where it was like unedited and uncut. And I was like, this is really violent. Okay. And it's really dark because he keeps trying to kill himself because his wife has been murdered. That's what I kind of thought. Yeah. yeah. So I need to we go should back do and revisit a, it. Uh, rekindle we'll watch, watch a spool. Right. We'll watch it in a couple of weeks. Um, Scotland. Going to, going to Scotland. So we're going to try to think about watching some Scottish films. But, we'll do um, a Mel Gibson doubleheader, Braveheart and Lethal Weapon. Yeah. Well, Braveheart... Uh, Okay, yeah. Interesting combo. What has Lethal Weapon got to Scotland? Anyway, uh, looking ahead then. That's our link music. Um, Coming in September, a couple of weeks time, two weeks time from now from when we are recording this. We've got Ad Astra, Ad Astra, um, which backwards is Arts Ada. Maybe that means something. Um, I know. So Arts Ad, Ad Astra is coming out September 20th and from all reviews and every kind of bit of feedback that from people who've seen it, that it's set to be one of the year's best films, kind of in line with the way Gravity and Arrival, when they um, were kind of presented, audiences were like, oh yeah, I love science fiction, like when it's kind of intelligent and trying to say something a bit more profound. Um, and I, I loved Gravity and Arrival and films like Sunshine and stuff like that. So yeah. this feels like it's kind the of... Martian was that. on RT a couple of nights ago. I watched a good Very chunk good. of it. Yeah. All the oceans guys with space films. Yeah, actually, very, very good point. So, uh, Ad Astra tells the story of a man. A man journeys across a lawless solar system to find his missing father, a renegade scientist who poses a threat to humanity. So, I don't know, keeping it vague. This I heard is more... someone on Twitter describe it as Apocalypse Now in Space. And I yeah. was like, brilliant. Sold. Character meltdown and everything. So, Colonel anyway, Kurtz type thing. Directed by James Gray, who. Like, has done a lot of films, but none of them have really been, like, a standout hit. But he's very, very well regarded. One that I really love. He's got a brother, Earl. One that I really like is uh, The Lost City of Zed. Oh, that was brilliant. Yeah. That was an incredibly underrated film from three years ago. So he did that. Anyway, um, no one really paid much attention to it. Anyway, that's coming out in two weeks. Ad Astra. Posters look beautiful. It's got lovely, lovely Brad Pitt. What can we say? He's going to be this year's Spool Man of the Year, I think. Probably, yeah. Right. Could anyway. he get an Oscar, finally? Has he ever been nominated for one? Anyway, our researcher looked he that has up. Been, no, he has been nominated. Like, Assassination Jesse James, I think he got. Oh, okay. Or, but maybe Casey Affleck got them in that way. I'll just pass yeah. it a note. So my uh, pick is coming out on the Producer. 30- Sorry, I just remembered. He's been nominated like for 12 Years a Slave. Like he's actually won. Oh, yeah. But like not a... Has he won for acting? That's fine. Yeah. So 13th of September is the Downton Abbey film, not Downtown. 
Downton Abbey, uh, created by Julian Fellows. I watched the first two seasons, I think, or like series on telly. Uh, they're very good. Didn't really tune into them much more than that. I think I watched the Christmas specials if I was at home to kind of catch up with it. So I don't. And the Queen is coming to the house. So what? Oh, is that what the film's about? Well, I, thought, I thought you saw the trailer. No. Well, I have, but or I don't the really. The, the trailer is just like the music and. Well, I want the Queen them to be all your referring kind of the fact that like we're doing a film. But like to have a normal do- like it it was a bit weird. So all right, the queen's coming. Well, no, is it, would it be the king? No, would it be the queen? It's Queen Victoria, I think. Cool. Who's gonna play her? Is it gonna be the one from the Crown in the ultimate That's crossover exactly. ever? Well, that would be Queen Elizabeth. But who? Yeah. It's post World War One, so it's pre World War Two. So it'd be the king, wouldn't it? Um, because she became the queen just uh, after World War Two. Oh, right. And Victoria died in like 1901 or something. So, yeah. George. Some of the Georges. So, it'll be cool. the guy with the stutter. Colin Firth. Daddy. Cool. So, Brad Pitt. And when, what date is that out? Uh, 13th of September. Yeah. We answered this for ourselves. So, Brad Pitt has won an Oscar for 12 Years a Slave being a producer. But in terms of his actor nominations, uh, Best Supporting Actor for 12 Monkeys, 1996. Best Actor Nomination for Curious Case of Benjamin Button, a film that no one is thinking about or talking about, but... Isn't know, that Fincher? David Fincher, yeah. Yeah. Haven't started watching Mindhunter season two yet. So there you go. And Moneyball. <laughs> Gesundheit. Speaking of Netflix, said Nigel. Yeah. So what, what do you mean speaking of Netflix? I just talked about Mindhunter. Yeah. I don't, I don't. You have a Netflix recommendation. Oh, sorry. Netflix recommendation that if just someone is looking for an on-demand highlight, that's something that's a little bit different if working moms isn't for them or whatever other crap. Or if you've watched... Dave Chappelle's comedy special. If you've watched the comedy specials and you've seen Ashling B's This Way Up and all Game Face and all these kind of things that everyone's and the Bake Off isn't for you and you want something intelligent because no one watches feature films at home anymore, it seems. It's worrying. Anyway, American Factory. It's a documentary from uh, co-directors Julia Reichart and Stephen Bognar. Um, you should watch it. You'll like it. It's about a factory that was shut down during the economic crash in Ohio, in Dayton, Ohio, I think, in uh, 2008, 2009 or whatever. And then a Chinese company um, come in and they open up this former uh, GM plant, which used to make cars, and then Fuya, I think it's the name of it, Fuyo, and they make glass, which then goes into cars, which is cool. But as you know, I kind mm. of have experience as a glazer. Yeah. Like a bit of glass, seeing glass being made is cool. But mainly how these kind of, all the skilled workers from the town who possibly have been unemployed for years and years suddenly get these new jobs where they used to maybe get $25. Now they get like eleven fifty, But still it's a job and they're delighted and yeah. the factory is good. But then as the film evolves, it kind of, talks a bit about labor laws unions this fuyao guys don't want any labor laws of course yeah. people from the american factory go to the chinese one and they're just like oh my god they're so much better but the chinese guys <laughs> yeah. come back and they train the americans and it takes ages so it's kind of a feel-good thing but it's actually also talking about broader mm. like labor laws um society how how you kind of adjust to god can i even do work as well as them and and so it's just good, and it's a bit like how first it, thing from the Obamas. Yeah, exactly. So this is its kind of claim to fame. They had nothing to do with the production of the film, but they have um, sort of exec produced as part of a deal with Netflix, where they seek out projects um, which are good, and then kind of amplify them in media and marketing and stuff. Now they will, I think. Now I hope I'm not doing a disservice there. I think they, I think it had played 
at festivals and then they saw it. I don't think they had anything to do with the production of it. Mm. But um, anyway, yeah, so Barack and Michelle Obama as part of a deal that they have with Netflix, that's kind of part of it. So who doesn't have a deal with Netflix these days? True. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, not yet, but we're not we're not filmmakers. We'll be the so first podcast on yeah. Netflix. Anything else TV wise that just while we're not talking about TV, I've been watching. Finished this. Mrs. Maisel season two. Very good. Very good. Great. Yeah. Uh, Available on Amazon Prime. Yep. As of now. Mm. Cool. I'm midway through Succession season one. Oh, very which good. Which has Brian Cox. He's a film actor, so we're allowed to talk yeah. about him. And Rory uh, Culkin. Uh, so Brian Cox plays kind of a Rupert Murdoch, Donald Trump type guy, turning eighty. He's meant to um, hand over the reins of his old traditional media company to his uh, son or children. It's unclear. And then, without giving too Who much away... Who plays the kid? Or uh, Damien Lewis is not it, is he? No, yeah, I don't know what the guy's name is. You know familiar, loads of familiar yeah. it's, it's, uh, it's great. And is though. it a comedy or more drama? It's a drama that's kind of like, oh my God, they're ridiculous. Oh, okay. Basically, the Murdochs and the Trumps. So, Succession is what it's that's called. It's not Shit Creek anyway, no. No, that's meant to be... It's very good. Watch the first season of that. Yeah. The mother is fantastic. Isn't it? Yeah. So anyway, there's lots of TV, but we're, we tried to do features here is what we're trying to do. So anyway, moving on. Best of luck to the can... IFI. They're kind of uh, yeah. pulling all screen one and screen two, which I didn't realize. Yeah, not so simultaneously, but yeah, the Irish Film Institute in Dublin is, yeah, screen one has no seats in it at the moment and they're trying to get fundraising to kind of restore them, put a new roof on the main part of it. Uh, up, upgrade the seats and the thing, which is long needed because basically anyone with medium to long legs. Uh, it's a bit tight. It's the only screen in the country you can see 70 mil on and it's possibly the worst seats. Uh, yeah. Well, it up was. Up till now. Up to now. Now yeah. they're going to be the best seats so, ever. I think so. No um, pressure. Well, slightly, hopefully less seats. I think that was the key thing. They just tried to fit in too many rows. Mm. So, um, yeah. So, so anyway. anyone could do with a facelift. Yeah. No, going to the yeah, but I'm not sure you would you sponsor a seat in Cineworld in the oh, way no. that the IFI has done a fundraising drive where for a couple of hundred quid you get your name on a seat. So ifi.ie will give you all the details of that. They've also got a documentary festival coming out at the end of the month. Um, again with these, these are a lot of kind of unknown, well mostly unknown films from different filmmakers from around the world. But the one that kind of caught my eye, which I think it's a Hulu kind of production, but it's about a filmmaker Benjamin Berman. Uh, goes and reports on this comedian called The Amazing Jonathan. And this guy um, does a farewell tour because he has a year to live. And then a couple of years later... Is this later, a magic documentary? Uh, yeah, the guy's a kind of a magician. It's on YouTube. A magician, comedian. The entire thing. Yeah. All right, well, there you go. Okay, cool. The full feature. Yeah, I started watching like, some legally. of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because right. so, the way like, YouTube is like, oh, we have stuff now. Yeah, so you okay. can watch it for free. Yeah. All right, there you go. So anyway... To watch that but in it'll look better in the cinema. Um, yeah, in Ireland, right. That's fascinating. Anyway, that's playing September 25th at 8.30pm. So it was good. I've only watched like the first 20 minutes of it because I'm aware of cool. who he is. He's kind of yeah. like a more hardcore Tommy Cooper where he yeah. f- frigs up magic tricks, but they're kind of can be gory and a bit yeah. adult and humored. claims that he's dying in a year and then after three or four years, he's still alive. And everyone's like, all right, what, what was that tour about? Anyway, so there's lots more there. And the program is on IFI Documentary Festival. You'll find it on the internet. So do you want to wrap us up? Yeah. So our final clip, uh, we're kind of tying back to 1999. Uh, talked about Brad Pitt quite a lot, actually, during this podcast. We're both in love with Brad Pitt. Yeah. That's not he looks great sense. in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Like He's in his 50s, for God's sake. So um, we talked about this earlier. Uh, Fight Club came out in 1999. 
very seminal film. So here we have a short clip uh, from Fight Club, and we will see you in a couple of weeks' time. Look around, I look around. I see a lot of new faces. <laughs> Shut up! Which means a lot of you have been breaking the first two rules of Fight Club. Man, I see in Fight Club the strongest and smartest men who've ever lived. I see all this potential, and I see squandered. God damn it, an entire generation pumping gas, waiting tables, slaves with white collars. Advertising has us chasing cars and clothes, working jobs we hate so we can buy shit we don't need. We're the middle children of history, man. No purpose or place. We have no great war, no great depression. Our great war is a spiritual war. Our great depression is our lives. We've all been raised on television to believe that one day we'd all be millionaires and movie gods and rock stars, but we won't. We're slowly learning that fact. We're very, very pissed off. I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Take one. <laughs>